Today, in honor of all moms and in honor of all women, uh, we're not going to go into an in-depth word study as we have been going through John, and we will go back to John um, after this, but we are going to look at scriptures as we discuss the women who still speak to us today, the women of the Bible who still speaks to us today. And here are just a few great women mentioned in the Bible. There are many. But I think it's very important for us to look at these women because they are given for our learning. When you look through Rahab, Jahal, Ruth, and Eve, and uh, Sarah, all of the women of old, they are given to us for our learning. And what can we get from them? And what, how can we be encouraged by them? How can we use them as a point of reference and find direction from them? So first, as we look through about nine ladies of old, First, I wanted to mention how Eve still speaks, and she still speaks to us today. Eve teaches us that God gave women the power of influence. God gave women the power of influence. I think oftentimes Satan gives us this goal to run after all of our lives not knowing that we're missing the ultimate purpose for our lives. And as women around the world run for equality, I believe God called you to significance instead. Significance to be the influence and the influencers that you have been called to do, to be or been called to become. There's a ring Bruce, if you don't mind, thank you. Eve teaches us that God gave women the power of influence. It's given to them, and it's not taken away from them. You see, it was Rebekah who influenced his son Jacob to guide him on how to go about receiving his brother's first birthrights, his older brother's birth, birthrights. It was Rebekah who devised that. She influenced Jacob. And here we are now, even as evil as that was at the time, here we are with the nation of Israel, birthed from Jacob, who received the birthright as encouraged by his mother, Rebekah. When Paul saw his faithful disciple, Timothy, he recognized his grandmother, Lois, and he recognized Timothy's mother, Eunice, and he recognized their faith in Timothy. Because women are called to the significant position of influencer. It was Mary who influenced Jesus to turn water into wine. Even when Jesus said, hey, it's not my time yet. Women are influencers. They influence also the religion and the faith of their children. As we saw with Lois, the mother of Timothy or the grandmother of Timothy, and Eunice, the mother of Timothy. You see, it was Hagar that determined Ishmael's religion. It wasn't Abraham. It was Hagar. It was Sarah that determined Isaac's religion. It was Hannah who decided her son, Samuel, was going to be raised for God's work. You see, women are influencers. This is their significance While Eve wanted to be equal, she didn't realize 
She wanted to be equal to God. She didn't realize her significance was, in fact, the, the, the fact that she was an influencer. You see, Eve reminds us to never underestimate that power inside of a wife, a mother, a grandmother, a woman. Women have always been influencers throughout Scripture, and they always will be. That is part of your significance, your significance in this world. Number two, Rahab still speaks to us. Rahab, the prostitute, teaches us that it is God's desire to save. It is God's desire to save. You see, the Lord does not plan to humiliate you. He's always looking to redeem even the worst of us. Just like he did Rahab. One of Jesus' first miracles was casting demons out of a sinful woman, Mary Magdalene. Seven demons, actually. And from that day on, Mary followed Jesus. Mary supported Jesus financially. And she became an influencer in all the women's lives around Jesus. She was there when Jesus was arrested. She was there when Jesus was crucified. And she was first at the tomb to find the tomb empty after Jesus rose from the dead. She was the first one to report the risen Christ. Mary Magdalene is mentioned 12 times in the New Testament. And we learn from her even to this day. From the life that she came from. Possessed by multiple demons living a wicked life, here she becomes a woman mentioned 12 times in the Bible, an influencer, a supporter of Christ, a follower of Jesus, and the first one to witness the fact that He was risen from the dead, a woman. It's interesting how God redeems women. As it was Eve who influenced Adam that caused the whole entire human race to fall into sin, here Jesus, born from a woman, witnessed His resurrection, witnessed by a woman. And so God goes, Jesus goes to the well and He speaks to this woman that wasn't a Jew. And He speaks to her and He tells her, you have had five husbands and the one you are with today, you aren't even married to. And she said, you must be a prophet. She runs to a town and she becomes the first evangelist. But what's interesting about that is back in the day, women had no rights. As a matter of fact, they couldn't even be used as a witness in court because their word wasn't accepted as legitimate. And here Jesus uses women. To evangelize women, to, to be witnesses of His resurrection, and God redeems women throughout history. Ruth still speaks today. Ruth teaches us that God will always remain faithful. Isn't that true? God will always remain faithful. For those of you that don't know the background to Ruth, it's quite stunning to understand how God used her in spite of who she was and where she came from. Ruth was a Moabite. She came from Moab, a nation which, was, which finds its origin when Abraham's brother Lot fathered his son Moab by his eldest daughter. Moab was a result of incest. And Moab, from him, sprung this nation 
we now know as Moab. And all Moabites were given to idol worship, slaughtering their infants. Unimaginable evil coming from that nation, Moab. Moab was the arch enemy of Israel, God's people. And in Isaiah 15 and 16 and other, portion, and other portions of scriptures, we see that God cursed the nation Moab multiple times. He cursed them. Even, even though Ruth comes from this nation, Moab, after the death of her Jewish husband, she remains faithful to her Jewish mother, Naomi. And so God sovereignly orchestrates and ordains her redemption by having Boaz marry her. Such an interesting story because here is Ruth from one of the most godless Gentile nations in the history of humanity, Moab. God sovereignly redeems her and has her marry her kinsman redeemer, Boaz, who's a very type of Christ, just as Jesus was going to embrace his bride from all corners of the earth, even from the worst of all nations. So Ruth, the Moabitess, think of this, along with Rahab, the prostitute, and Bathsheba, the woman who had an affair with King David, all three of them become the line from which Jesus was born. Isn't that amazing? How God redeems humanity and God redeems women. So it doesn't matter where you come from or where you currently are. Ruth still speaks to us of God's constant faithfulness throughout the ages. So not only do we have Eve still speaking to us about influencers, women being influencers, we have Rahab speaking to us about how God desires to save the worst of the worst. We have Ruth speaking to us about God's faithfulness no matter where you come from and who you are. We have Esther who speaks to us still this day. Esther teaches us that we are born for a specific time, of course, and a specific purpose. And that our life is never without a cause. doesn't matter who you are. There is a purpose to your life. God is sovereign over history, which means... No man will make history outside of God's ordained and sovereign purposes. No man makes history outside of God because he is God. Man is not. And therefore, we can conclude with the life of Esther that God's plans and God's purposes include you and include me for here and for now. Having come into the understanding of the sovereignty of God, it really does allow you to trust God no matter where you're at. When you understand that God is sovereign, you can actually trust Him with the unknown. You can trust Him with the mountaintops and the low valleys. You can trust Him in every part of life because He is sovereign. How, what else would you trust how else would you trust God if He wasn't sovereign? That's my question. How else would you trust Him if He wasn't sovereign? You can only trust Him because He's sovereign. <laughs> the only reason you and I can rely upon Him is because we know that He's God. And He's numbered the days of our lives. He's given us a purpose. He caused us to live now at this age. 
the life that we have. And this is why we can thank him through it all. As Joseph glorified God through it all. As Job said, though you slay me, yet I will praise you. This is what I was created to do, to praise you, to worship you, to glorify your name and to live for you. Through it all, we can worship God, and that's the best use of life, no matter what life we have. So we see that Esther speaks and teaches us that we are born for a specific time and purpose. It's here and now. Your life matters. And then number five, we see that Sarah speaks still. Sarah teaches us the importance of patience. We all know the story of Abraham, how God came to him and said to him that you are going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham and his wife growing older and older and older, and they weren't having a child, and so eventually they thought that they were going to take it into their own hands, and he was going to have a child with, them, with his servant girl. And this is where Ishmael comes from. But Sarah then teaches us the importance of patience and not making the promise of God happen in our own strength but rather waiting upon God. How else could you trust God if you couldn't wait on Him? You see, to trust God means I don't just trust Him for what I want. I trust that what He desires is the right thing. To trust God means not just I'm trusting God that what He desires is the right thing. I trust that He's timing in what He desires for my life is also the right thing. If I can't trust God in His timing, the question is, am I trusting God at all? If I can't trust God that His purposes and plans are eternally more important and significant than my purposes and plans, am I trusting Him at all? And so... We have to learn to trust God as sovereign, that His sovereign plans are what we want for our lives, and that His sovereign timing is also what we want and we give ourselves to. It's an amazing thing to trust God because the moment you do, the weight of the world lifts off your shoulders, doesn't it? <laughs> that is why Christians can live free from all of the stress the rest of the world is dying from. So Sarah speaks. She tells us about the importance of patience. And as a side note, patience means that while you are trusting God, you are trusting God with a specific attitude in mind. Patience isn't waiting. Patience is waiting with a trusting heart, <laughs> with a heart that relies upon God, not with a heart that's angry at God for taking as long as He is. So when you are patiently waiting upon God, you are doing so glorifying Him for who He is. That is what it means to be patient. So now we have Eve speaking to us, speaking to us about women's the power of a woman's influence. Number two, we have Rahab, the prostitute, teaching us that God desires to save no matter where we come from or who we are. We have Ruth speaking to us 
fact that God remains faithful to you and to I throughout all eternity. We have Esther speaking to us about the fact that we have a purpose and God has a plan for that purpose and He has included you and I. He's honored you and I to include us in that purpose here and now. And then we have Sarah speaking to us about the importance of patience waiting upon God. And here, number six, we have Bathsheba speaking to us. Bathsheba, she still speaks today. I mean, it's an amazing thing when you stand back and you look at all the women of the Bible and you think about all of what God is telling us through their lives. It's quite a powerful thing. Bathsheba speaks to us of this, that it is possible to forgive the unforgivable. Can you imagine the amount <laughs> that Bathsheba had to get over? I mean, here she is. She finds herself in an affair with the king. And then she finds herself giving herself to the king's plan to murder her own husband. All of this plays out. How does she forgive not just the king, but herself? So Bathsheba teaches us that it is possible to forgive the unforgivable but also that God can forgive what seems to be so unforgivable. God can actually forgive you and I for our past, no matter what it is, because the blood of Jesus is sufficient for all of that. You see, if somebody walks around, if somebody walks around with the idea that, you know what, everybody else is forgiven, but you don't know my sin. My sin is, my sin is so large. I don't think God will forgive me for what I did. Well, what you are in fact saying is that this is the power of the blood of Jesus and this is my sin right there. My sin trumps the blood of Christ. So we ought not to judge the blood of Christ as insufficient, but we ought to view it as completely sufficient for my life. And this is the story of Bathsheba, the message that she still teaches today. Not only does he forgive... But think about this. He then takes this forgiven woman, Bathsheba, the woman that he forgave for so much, who plotted her own husband's murder so she can get away with adultery. This woman, who has been forgiven for so much, he then takes her and he raises her up and he uses her to raise up the next king of Israel, Solomon. And she will forever be known as the mother of the wisest and wealthiest king of Israel in history of humanity. You see, God can and God will forgive. God can and He will redeem. And then to honor His redeeming or His redeemed, He places them into His divine purposes. Now, that's the story of you and me. Think about it for a moment. Doesn't the Bible say that He uses all things together, will work for, together for the good to who? Those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. All things work together for the good to those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. And here we have a woman who has done the unthinkable. Yet God uses all things to work together for the good to those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. And there He uses her within His plans to raise up the greatest the wealth, wealthiest and wisest king ever of Israel, Solomon. This is a message that speaks to you and I. 
There's not one person here today that, that believes that they are qualified to be used of God. There's not one person here today that has lived a life so pure and so holy and so righteous that can confidently tell self, self, you qualify to be used of God. Not one of us. And if that is you, <laughs> if that's actually what you believe, that is the thing that disqualifies you to be used of God. That is actually the disqualifying mark. The qualifying mark is not a Peter that did not deny Christ. The qualifying mark is a repentant Peter versus an unrepentant Judas. Are you following what I'm saying? Here God uses Peter throughout, throughout the ages for thousands of years to build his church and to be one of the apostles upon which the church is built. Let me say it that way. There's a lot of confusion there. <laughs> He's one of the apostles God used to build His church upon, yet He is the one who denied Christ. But living in repentance is the very thing that allows God to take you in His hands like a tool, like an instrument for His own purposes. It's the story of Bathsheba. It's amazing. Number seven, two great women in the Bible, J.L. and Deborah, still speaks. J.L. and Deborah still speaks. J.L. and Deborah teaches us that women can be and should be warriors, mighty in the hand of God. Again, it's, it's such a deception. All the devil has to do to, to allow your life to really add up to nothing is to give you a second vision. A second vision. This is where we get the word die vision from. Not a vision, but a die vision, a second vision. And so he can divide you to the point where your life becomes insignificant. How does he do it? Instead of telling you that you are significant as an influencer, as we saw in the first point with Eve and with all those women, he says, no, it's not that you are an influencer. It's that you're supposed to be equal to everybody else who is fallen, <laughs> who is totally depraved, <laughs> and who is completely radically corrupted, and now our goal is to be equal. Is that not what the snake said? Is that not what the snake sold Eve? That if you bite into this, then you will be equal to God and you will be as He is. You'll know what He knows. He's trying to withhold from you knowledge. Can you see that? He ain't, he's not good. It wasn't that he was warning you against something. He was trying to take away something from you. But if you bite into this, you will be equal to him. And so there's this second vision of equality instead of just significance. Your purpose in God is given to you and no one else. And to fulfill that purpose is to be eternally significant. And instead of chasing after that, we chase after everything else. And so here we see that J.L., and Deborah still speaks. In what way? 
And they teaching us they teach us that women can be and should be warriors. Warriors, that's who they are. Mighty in the hand of God. Deborah, a judge. Amazing. Jael, a warrior who, who was so infuriated that somebody was that somebody was as evil as the man that she put asleep and then she took a tent peg and, and drove it through the temples of his head. They were warriors, I know. I didn't want to tell the story. It's kind of rough, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, when you read through these Old Testament stories, you kind of, you kind of shudder at times. Just like how the prophet hacked Agag to death in front of everyone. <laughs> you know, when you read those stories, you go, God, this is... All I'm telling you is the Old Testament really shows you God's hatred towards sin. And what we do when we look at sin, we go like, well, you know, is a mistake. Now, God hates sin. It's against Him. It violates His character. And it destroys us. So we see J.L. and Deborah still speaks. They still speak and they tell us that women are warriors. Number eight. A certain sinful woman still speaks to us today from scriptures. A certain sinful woman still teaches us, no matter the cost or the criticism, showing your love for Christ matters. Showing your life for Christ matters. I want to read to you the story, and it, this is just so encouraging because there is nothing more empowering than humility. Have you, have you realized that? There's nothing more damaging than pride, and there's nothing more empowering than humility because it's the humble person that's not destroyed by everybody else's criticisms. It's the humble person that's not, he's not, he's not you know, yeah, he's not perturbed. He's not, he's not, his world isn't thrown inside out because somebody judged him. It's the humble person that actually those things don't touch. The proudful person, on the other hand, Lord knows, somebody looks at them the wrong way and, they, and, and, and all hell breaks loose. Their life, they have fallen apart and they can't get over it for the next three years. They walk around wound, as a wounded animal, hurting everybody else because somebody hurt them. But the humble person... They receive grace for this life. And so we see this very humble woman. And she was humble. Why? Because she knew she was sinful. I speak a lot about sin. Not because I think... Well, let me say this. I speak a lot about sin. And I think it's so important because the Bible speaks so much about sin. And when the Bible says Christ came to set us free, oftentimes people get that very mixed up. They think, you know, like when Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey, they thought, well, he's going to set us free politically. And then you have the antinomians. They come and they go like, well, Christ came to set us free from the law of Moses. We are free from the law. And others come and they, they, they teach a theology. Well, Christ came to set us free from all discrimination. Christ came to set us free from all kind of oppression. And then you have, not the antinomians, and, uh, but, but you, you have people now that think this, 
what they call the hyper grace movement. They believe, well, Christ came to set us free from sin in the sense of sin no, no longer matters. We set free from it because it's been paid. So now, whether you sin or not, it doesn't really matter. And so everybody has an idea as to what Christ came to set us free from. You see, all definitions, or let me say this, all communication rests upon the definition of terms. What does it mean to be set free in Christ? Well, the Bible is very clear. The Bible says Jesus came to set us free from sin. The power and the consequence of sin. That's what He came to set us free from, right? So to be set free from sin means that you can repent for it. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means you can walk away from it. You can repent from it. You can turn from it to God. And that's why I speak about sin a lot. Because it's sin that actually is the problem. And it's because of sin that man actually dies. And it's because of sin that, that um, Jesus came to save us. He came to save us from that. Many people think He came to save us from hell. He came to save us from sin. And heaven is the benefit of that. But here we have a very sinful woman. And I wanted to pick it up in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. Now look, that woman didn't sin. She lived a sinful life. Can you see the difference? She practiced her sin willingly. So a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So he came there with an so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping. Why was she weeping? She was remorseful for her sinful life. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. I mean, she was sobbing. That's a lot of tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. Something women never did back then was actually loosen their hair. That was a sign of a loose woman. She took her hair down and she wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. Then she kissed his feet and poured perfume on them. In ancient times... It was the slave that would loosen the straps of his master's shoes. It was the job of the slave to do that. This is why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who came to, who came to do what? Take away the sins of the world. Sins is what Jesus came for. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God, the one whose shoelaces... I'm not worthy of even untying. I am not even worthy to be his slave. This is what John the Baptist was saying. And here's this woman, known to be one who practices sin, weeping as she stands behind Jesus, so much that she could bend down and her tears would wet his feet. She took her hair down, shocking to everybody in the room. She wipes his feet and washes his feet like a slave would. And then she kisses them and pours very expensive perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man was a prophet, if this man were a prophet, he would know 
who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, don't for a moment think that this woman didn't realize walking into this house would be, would be to walk into a house filled with judging eyes. <laughs> There's not a person there that didn't know who she was. I'm wondering if there weren't some men in there that she also knew. But there wasn't a person in there, especially the Pharisee, whose house it was, that didn't know who she was. But apart from all the criticism and the judgment, she walked in there weeping. Because there's something beautiful and powerful about a humble person. And there's something beautiful and powerful about a person who's been humbled by their own sin. Because that's not normal humility. That's actual humility brought on by brokenness. This is who she was. But as this Pharisee was standing in the corner thinking these thoughts, if Jesus knew who she was, he wouldn't let her do this. Jesus, of course, knows what he's thinking, verse 40. And he answers him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me, teacher, he said. <laughs> two people owned money, or two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. 500 versus 50. Neither of, them had, neither of them had the money to pay back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forget, forgiven. The one who owed 500 loves more than the one who owed 50. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. She's broken, and her actions prove it. Her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven for little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Lord, what a great, what a great statement coming from the mouth of Jesus. Your sins have been forgiven. You see, this certain sinful woman speaks today and she tells us no matter what the cost or no matter what the criticism or no matter what the judgment, showing your love because you're humble enough to do so for Christ matters. It matters. You are safest around a humble person. You are safest around a humble person. You are in greatest danger when you're in a relationship with one filled with pride. That's the most dangerous relationship you have is with the most prideful person you know. You are most truly loved by the humble 
but you'll, the most hypocritical love you have or receive is from the one filled with pride because they really love themselves, not you. Finally, as we come to number nine, it's the woman with the issue of blood. She still speaks to us today. The woman with the issue of blood teaches us that poverty, because remember, she spent all that she had in order to get healthy, and nothing worked. She was completely broke, and she teaches us that poverty, sickness, fear, intimidation, and discrimination shouldn't prevent us from pressing into God. If you add the disease she had, she was actually not allowed to be in public. She was supposed to live outside of the city. But here she is pressing in through the crowd to get to Christ. And she teaches us that as a wife, as a mother, and as a woman, God has called you, God has sanctified you, and God has blessed you with a message and with a mission, and that it's always the right thing to press in to Christ. So today we have these voices that speak to us from ancient times. God still speaks to us through them. And He tells all women today by the voice of Eve that you are an influencer. He tells us by the voice of Rahab, the prostitute, that God desires to save no matter who you are. He tells us by the voice of Ruth, and He teaches us that He will always remain faithful to us. He will find us, and He will orchestrate and ordain our lives to ultimately be saved by Christ Himself. He speaks through Esther to us and tells us that He uses us for His purposes, and that is the greatest honor in life that we can have. He speaks to us through Sarah, and He teaches us the importance of waiting with a good attitude, because this is how we trust God's sovereignty. He teaches us through Bathsheba that He forgives the unforgivable, and then He will use that forgiven person for His purposes and for His plans to raise up kings. He uses Jael and Deborah to speak to us today that women, you are not Weaken the sense that you cannot be a warrior. But you are used mightily in the hands of God, just like Deborah was, just like Jael was. God speaks to us through a sinful woman, broken over her sins, therefore loved so much that she overcame criticism, she overcame judgment, and she displayed her love for Christ. And then finally, God uses the voice of the woman with the issue of blood to say that poverty, sickness, fear, discrimination, intimidation should never prevent you from pressing into God because He has more for you than what others are trying to take from you. So as a wife, as a mother, as a woman, today God has called you, God has sanctified you, and God has blessed you with a mission, and God has blessed you with a purpose, and He's using you in the in the here and the now for His glory. And that's the best use of life possible. It's time for us to honor 
women and especially honor moms for the sacrifice that they give as they live selfless, selflessly to fulfill God's purpose. We're thankful for moms.